Hello and welcome to Talk To Be Well. I am your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. I'm Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence in Oregon. I am also the Chief Clinical Officer of Work To Be Well. Here with me today to discuss how to be an ally are a few National Student Advisory Council members, Gabby, Ash, and Dominic from all across the United States today. And this is so important during Pride Month to talk about what it means what it really means to be an ally, because I don't think people understand. But first, as a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. So to get us going today, what I really want each of you to do is to introduce yourself, where you are from, and why is it important for us to talk about what it means to be an ally? Uh, Ash, you want to kick us off? Yes. Hi, I'm Ash. I'm from California. And to be an ally means like to unite yourself with whatever group you're talking about. In this case, it's LGBTQ plus community. And it's just super important for every community to have allies that will help them um, stand up to what like things they're fighting against or for. And it's just really important to have a diverse group of people standing for one thing. Hi, everyone. I am Dominic. I am from Burbank, California. Um, I am the educational team lead, well, the former educational team lead at uh, Work To Be Well now that I have graduated. Um, and for me, being an ally means being able, like what Ash said, being able to stand in solidarity with another group of people, with a marginalized group of people, and to fight for what they believe in, to um, to fight for what they, to fight against what oppresses them, to show them support, um, to give them the spotlight, to help them, to use your own privilege to give them a platform, and to fight for what you believe in. And so I think that being an ally is being able to stand in someone else's shoes, to empathize with them, and then to support them however necessary. Hi, I'm Gabby. I'm from Portland, Oregon, and I use she, her pronouns. And to me, being an ally, I think, is just really realizing where you fit into all these different intersectional issues, um, whether it be gender identity, sexual identity, etc. Um, and like Dominic said, not centering yourself in that conversation, but rather supporting those who are within those communities to ensure that they can prosper um, and, you know, uh, utilizing your voice to uplift and ensure that um, those who are historically marginalized are able to have a say in issues that maybe they were uh, normally pushed out of. So you all kind of really talked about what it means to be an ally. And sometimes I think there's a fine line between being an ally and what one would call cultural appropriation, you know, where you, you kind of take over and, and, and I'm wondering what is the difference between somebody who's a good solid ally and somebody who may be more performative and appropriating that space? Dominic, jump in. I mean, I think the the only example that comes to mind for me right now is like the difference between someone who is only posting about 
their quote unquote allyship on social media and then someone who is posting on social media, but backing it up in the real world. And so I think that's a wonderful, you know, sort of comparison between what it looks like to be performative and what it looks like to not be performative. So, for example, you know, if someone is posting on social media, they're reposting resources and they're reposting stories and they're spotlighting different, you know, different individuals who are making, you know, impacts in the LGBTQ plus community. That's a great first step. But, you know, if they're friends with homophobes and they're using homophobic slurs themselves or they are, you know, doing things that are undermining the progress of the community in their real life, then that's what I would call a performative activist. It's what you, it's, you know, putting on this front that you support a community and then working to undermine the community at every step. And this can be subtle and it can be non-noticeable, but it can still be devastating. And so, you know, my advice for people who are reposting things on social media, I, I love that you're doing that. And I think that social media is a wonderful you know, is a wonderful tool to get the word out and to spread resources and to, um, you know, mobilize movements, but always be sure that you're backing it up with real and tangible um, action and real and tangible support. Yeah, and just just bouncing off of what Dominic has mentioned, um, I think nowadays allyship can be very much like checking off a box, like showing outwardly that you support something just to um, appear better or to ensure that you're perceived in a certain way. And I think this runs deeper than just individuals, but can also be seen, you know, amongst corporate America, you have um, companies who are putting out um, allyships and like rainbow for pride month, but maybe in the past they've donated to anti LGBTQ plus politicians or organizations that um, benefit them economically. So when you're boiling that down to the individual, I think it really comes down to ensuring that you know who you're supporting um, so that your allyship and your outward voice is not just words, but backing that up, um, you know, with economic support and things that go beyond that. I think I agree with both of you. And I think a nice way to kind of sum that up is just it all boils down to respect. You have to respect the community and show respect through your actions and your words in order to be a good ally. You don't just want to, uh, like Dominic was saying, just put a face on for the people around you, especially when it comes to social media, you don't want to do show that you're an ally or show that you believe in something and then completely backtrack and go the opposite direction in real life. And we see that everywhere. And it's definitely not okay at all. You know, I, I think those are some really great tangible examples of, of that, that line in there about if you're going to be an ally, then you're an ally 100% of the time, not just when other people are watching. And, and it's interesting to see how there's a difference sometimes when you look at what people actually spend their money on. Here, buy my pride t-shirt while I'm donating to, you know, everybody who doesn't support LGBTQ plus rights. Uh, that's a really, really, really big message in there. And it really kind of highlights why marginalized communities need allies. But I'm wondering from your perspective, why do you think marginalized communities, especially the LGBTQ plus, why do you need real allies? What's going on? Okay, tongue in cheek question here. 
what's going on in the world today that LGBTQ plus people would need an ally? I don't know. Jump on in. I mean, where do I even start? I mean, that's my question. That's my follow-up question. Where do I even start? I think that every, I, I think it's it's almost like an understatement to say like LGBTQ rights are under attack at this point. I think that's an understatement. I think that LGBTQ plus existence is under attack. I think the very right to exist, the fundamental right to exist in a community and exist in a country where they're loved and supported is under attack. I mean, you see in Florida right now who just, they just passed the don't get, don't say gay bill, which basically, you know, basically prohibits the, the mentioning of gay people or the mentioning of anything having to do with the LGBTQ plus community in the classroom. When study after study, after study, after study, after study, after guess what study show that affirming, uh, affirming gender and sexual identity in the classroom ends in positive benefits for LGBTQIA plus youth. So it's it, it's counterproductive to, to the progress of LGBTQIA plus youth, and it is actually devastating to any student who identifies with this community but aren't even allowed to speak about who they are or what they represent. I mean, if I was in Florida right now and I went to a school in Florida, I wouldn't even, even be able to talk about the fact that I have two dads in a classroom without fearing that someone's parents might say, that's too controversial to talk about. We should be leaving that to the parents. When in fact, we should be leaving the education to the people who are getting paid to educate. And second of all, I have to make a point is that recently, as we all know, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And that represents the right to privacy and that represents the right to yeah exactly it represents the right to privacy which so many other decisions that the supreme court has ruled on weigh in on that exact right including obergeville v hodges which gives us the right to marriage and so my my worry right now is that the next the next step of this radical court is to take away our right to marriage and all around the country, I think there are 300 active anti-transgender legislation, um, pieces of legislation that are circulating through state legislatures. This is a full-on attack on the rights, on the dignity, on the existence of every single member of the LGBTQ plus community. And if you're not afraid, then you are not awake. You are not aware of what is happening because there are bills that are making it so that we can't even mention who we are in our classrooms. There are bills that are banning comprehensive sex education and banning the teaching of the history of the LGBTQ plus community. And there is a threat to our very right to exist and our very right to marry. I, I think that right now our country is mobilizing to take away the, the, the rights and the dignity that we have worked decades to get because they are, they're working against everything that we represent and they're working against Stonewall and all the other movements that have gotten us to this point. And so I'm terrified. I'm terrified about where, what is happening. I'm terrified that the, that, my that the marriage of my parents will be overturned. I'm terrified that I won't be allowed to talk about my parents in school. I'm terrified that I might be hate crimed. I'm terrified for my fellow transgender friends and family and, and community who are being attacked at rising numbers because of the because of their gender identity, I'm afraid. And I think that everyone else should be afraid. And I think that where we are as a country is despicable. It's absolutely despicable. I'm not sure anybody wants to pick up that mic now, Dominic. <laughs> you probably covered just about everything in there because uh, you know, that's kind of the very well said way to way to put it. 
I mean, I was just looking at some statistics from the Transgender Law Center. The Transgender Law Center has now stated that 15 states aren't safe, aren't safe for trans individuals to leave it, to live in. And that nine more are on the cusp of becoming unsafe. That's more than half, close to half the country. So when we think just about transgender individuals, it's when you're sitting here saying it's not even safe. Where does that leave us? What do we think about that? Ash, you want to weigh in on that one? I think about, well, the first thing that comes to mind is when it, something gets passed and then everyone fights it for a certain amount of time. And a lot of times things kind of get dropped after a certain period. And I think that when it comes to like LGBTQ or anti-LGBTQ laws and anti-transgender laws and all of that stuff, especially all the stuff Dominic was talking about, I think that we need allies that will stand up and help us fight for our rights back. Because when you really, when it comes down to it, they are not going to be the ones that are getting hate crimed for their identity and sexuality. They might get, you know, a little backlash from standing up with us, which is never okay in itself, but they are, they, <laughs> we need allies in order to help us stand and we need to have that diversity. It can't just be LGBTQ students and transgender students or people in general that are fighting for our rights. We need to have allies that are cisgender or heterosexual that will help stand with us to fight because they're the ones that, because of the fact that LGBTQ voices are so silenced and unheard, the ones that are not LGBTQ standing up for us have a better chance to be heard. Yeah, I'll add on that too. Um, I think something else to consider is the idea of almost like anti-science that's running through this country. Um, because, you know, there's like science that backs the idea and like, you know, um, legitimizes identity. It's not some kind of like construct that's been made up in the past 20 years. Like these are people that are backed by science. And I think it speaks to having diversity and allyship. Like you need doctors that are allies and people that um, are willing to like be professionals and stand up for the idea that like gender affirming care saves lives um, and are like willing to give out that health care in states where it's under attack. Um, so yeah, that being said, I think just having like diversity and allies is also really important and making sure that you have stakeholders um, in every corner of what this issue impacts um, surrounding and fighting on that issue as well. You know, it's interesting that, that when you talk about that, that need to have um, cisgender allies and to have all kinds of allies in every corner, I think about a social media post that I saw recently that said, you know, if, if books could make people gay, then all of these, you know, millions of years of history of books about all these, you know, cisgender heterosexual relationships certainly would have turned somebody who's, who's gay straight, right? That's not how any of this works. So if it doesn't work this way, it's not working the other way either. 
We already know that that's not how any of this works. And that speaks a lot to the power of social media and the power that a cisgender population has in being an ally because they have the ability to stand up and state the obvious and state how remarkably stupid many of the arguments are for why we have the don't say gay bill, why we have, you know, all of these different types of bills that are running through our legislature right now. How has social media played? Has social media been an ally in this fight? What do you think? I promise I'll try not to talk too much on this answer, um, but I definitely have to agree that social media has been a huge support in the movement to, you know, to bolster a movement for LGBTQ plus rights. I think that social media has provided us with the resources necessary to connect and to mobilize together. I mean, I see on my feed people talking about LGBTQ plus rights. I see, I see resources for mental health. I see, you know, post on post about how you can, you know, even get your like your 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 finances in order in case you know Obergefell v Hodges is overturned. Like people are giving advice, people are providing resources. I think it's it's allowed us to instantaneously talk to people around the globe and to provide support and guidance to anyone who needs it and anyone who reaches out for it. And so I think, yes, of course, there are downsides. There are people who are homophobic on social media and who are attacking our rights and, um, and you know, belittling us at every turn. But I think that social media provides a network for all of us to connect and to mobilize um, in the fight for LGBTQ plus rights. Yeah, recently, especially with the overturn of Roe v. Wade um, on social media, I've heard a lot of talk about like getting to know your neighbors and ensuring that you have that kind of mutual aid and um, allyship system around you. But as Dominic said, not a lot of people have that, especially when you're living in states that are under attack. Um, so being able to have these resources and kind of like that extended community in a globalized world is really necessary, ensuring that transgender and LGBTQ, LGBTQ people are not only supported, but know their rights and know that there that there's people out there who are willing to support them. Um, because when you have so much hate around you, even even knowing that there's others that are in this fight with you and share your identity is a really powerful thing. Um, and keeping that morale going. So totally agree, Dominic. I think. Um... I do agree with both of you again, but I do think the other side of it is also important to pay attention to the fact that every everywhere, including social media, you get that hate and it's kind of easier to spread hate on social media. But the good part is that, in my opinion, at least, people get to build their own communities through social media. You choose who you follow and who you don't follow. You choose who you're talking to, who you're direct messaging. And so you kind of get to take control over what you're interacting with. And of course there's still, you know, some things will pop up that you don't like on your feed. But you, for the most part, you get to choose what direction your social media page and 
your followers and following, uh, you get to choose who those people are. And so I think it's a very good resource for a lot of people to just kind of be a part of a community that they weren't able to reach before. That's a really good point. I mean, there is a lot of choice in social media. And sometimes I think people forget that they can um, use that filter and they can have the ability to, to decide what they're going to listen to and what they're not going to listen to and what they respond to and what they're not going to respond to and things like that. And that makes me wonder something, you know, Dominic, you mentioned Roe v. Wade and, and knowing that this podcast obviously is airing after the decision was made to overturn Roe v. Wade and now the speculation that this will have impact on the LGBTQ plus community. My question to all of you is, will that decision galvanize the community and make them stand up and fight even harder and fight even more? Or does the LGBTQ plus community see this as a sign of defeat? What are you hearing out there? What do you think? I think that, and I feel like, I feel this wholeheartedly that this is not we're not taking this as a sign of defeat. We're taking this as a sign that we need to act and that we need to not riot, but we need to protest and we need to, you know, lobby and we need to take action in our communities to prevent, you know, this prevent this from happening again with the cases that uphold our rights as well. And we're also mobilizing our efforts to fight on behalf of the women who just lost a sacred right to abortion because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, I don't think that this is defeat. I don't think that anyone is thinking of it as defeat. I do think people are angry and I do think people are upset. And I do think that we are losing hope, but I don't think that this is defeat. I think that this is just another motivator as to why we need to to lobby and why we need to uh, why we need to mobilize our efforts to fight for our rights. But I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think a lot of people are hopeful that we will get the result that we want to because we are currently dealing with a court of justices who have been elected by a president who lost the popular vote and another president who also lost the popular vote. And it is an unelected court that serves lifetime sentences. And so I think that we are feeling like there's no hope in changing the course of uh, the course of this country, specifically with this in, re in reference to this court, because again, I said it's unelected. We can't go in there and, and, and take out who we want and to change the face of the court to better represent the ideals of American democracy and to better represent um, American society. And so I think that while we are moving forward in the fight because of this recent decision, there is a sense of hopelessness that is sort of starting to grow because what the hell can we do? Well, well I'm going to take the moderator's privilege and jump in here and talk about a little bit of the, uh, Let's talk about Civics 101, because, you know, when you look at you have the balance of the Supreme Court, you have the executive branch, and of course, you have the legislative branch. And you're correct. We don't elect the, the Supreme Court. But you know what? We elect the executive branch who appoints the Supreme Court and we elect the legislative branch. And I think now more than ever, this is the clarion call to young people to take back control of their country and to learn who to vote for, because it starts at the school board level. Our schools are being attacked, and you've all talked about our schools being attacked. Our schools are being attacked by policies that say you can't display pride flags and affinity support groups, and you can't display Black Lives Matters flags, and you can't say gay and all those other types of things. 
look at who the school board candidates are in your local election, figure out who's on the right side of the issue and cast your ballot. Because a lot of youth who are 18, the least likely age to vote is 18 to 24. And if the least likely group to vote became the most likely group to vote, we would change the world immediately. So when I kind of put that out there like that, how does that make you think then about how you would use your social media platform for good in an upcoming election? Um, I'll jump in. I I think already on social media, there is a lot of hope being lost in the national government and their ability to protect its citizens. And that's completely valid. But taking a step back now that things like abortion um, are up to states, what's most important is getting out there and voting for your state government. Because I think a lot of people don't even recognize the fact that state legislators exist. Um, but they're honestly, at this point, might even have a greater impact on your life than um, your federal government would, though you probably hear about the federal government more. Um, but, you know, your state government is what is deciding on behalf of your state. Every single state is split into different um, Senate and representative um, sections, just like the national government is. Um, and this is a smaller section. You have the ability to mobilize your community and get out there and knock doors and have these conversations with voters. Um, and I know that people are losing hope. Um, but if you can't win back the Senate on a national level, if you um, are have issues with the, you know, the Electoral College, as I'm sure most of us do, um, something that you can do is hopefully mobilize your your state district because um, it's a more localized fight. I do have to add one thing because Dr. Robin, you do bring up a good point. Voting is a seriously powerful tool that we have at our disposal. And so I wanna encourage anyone listening, if you are 18, please register to vote and, and, and vote in the November election. And in some states, if you are under the age of 18, but will be 18 by the election, or you won't even be 18 by the election, but you still wanna get a step ahead in the voting process, please pre-register to vote. Um, you can do that. There are there's I know there's a link at rockthevote.org to pre-register to vote in any state that offers it. And if you go to vote.gov, I believe you can you can register to vote there. So please, like Dr. Robin said, we have the power to change the executive and we have the power to change the legislative, which gov which basically create the makeup of the Supreme Court. And so if you have the ability to please vote and in your local elections and your state elections, they are just as important, if not more important than the federal. So we've now done our plug for the uh, voting system of the world. I want to make sure that we don't leave this podcast without talking about what resources are available, not only for members of the LGBTQ plus IA community, but also for their allies. What resources are available for support, for education? How do I learn to do this better? Where do I go for help? Ash. Um, the top two resources that come to mind are the Trevor Project and GLAAD. Um, I know both have very good resources. I know the Trevor Project just came out with, like, this new kind of chat room, um, version of their website for LGBTQ, uh, 
teenagers and allies, and it covers every kind of um, section of the community, and it gives everyone a place to feel safe. And I also know that GLAAD has a whole LGBTQ resource list on their website where you can click on a ton of different links and go find resource after resource. And it's been very helpful to me and I've shared it with uh, a lot of different people too. So I would definitely go check those out. You know, one of the best things that, that Trevor Project does on their website is when you're looking at their resource page, they have a, a an actual function where that they advertise right on their page. And it says, if you press, and I can't remember what it is if you press, but if you press like the space bar or something like that, Dominic, you probably know, um, whatever it is that you press, then it pops up a, just a regular browser. So if you're worried that somebody will see what you're browsing on, they will help teach you how to make it private. What are the resources you all know out there? Um, I think something that you can do as an ally is look up your community resources, specifically in your city and state. Um, I know in Portland, my area, a really good one is Q Center because they provide, um, you know, like spaces and community events. And that's like a very large part of being in the community is having other people around you. Um, but, you know, really putting your money where your mouth is um, because, you know, we live in a very economic-centered world, and I think one of the best ways to be an ally is to reallocate the resource that you have if you're able, um, and if that is something that um, would be, like, safe and a good option for you, um, because sometimes states that are, like, the most unsafe for people in LGBTQ communities are those that are impoverished or those who are, like, unable to have economic autonomy and actually you know, be able to have financial freedom to leave the dangerous situation that they're in. Um, so point being, donate to your local um, LGBTQ plus centered organization. <laughs> I love these resources that you guys are um, are providing for our listeners. And, and I want to jump in because I actually have a list pulled up of resources that I gathered together um, for my school's website. Um, but like um, Ash had mentioned, the Trevor Project, is a wonderful organization. My dad is a volunteer for the Trevor Project. Um, I know that they have a hotline, they have a text line. They also uh, do have Trevor Space, which like Ash mentioned is a sort of new feature um, where you can talk to like-minded LGBTQ plus individuals and get advice and guidance and support from other people. Um, and if you want to call the Trevor Project hotline, you can call them at 866-488-7386. But some other ones I wanted to uh, mention, there is actually a terminology guide for allies of the LGBTQ plus community that was created by GLAAD. There is also a guide, guide to allyship that was created by the Human Rights Campaign. There is also um, lists of resources provided by, I know we're not very, um, we're not very, you know, we don't very feel very supported by the national government, but the CDC did create lists of resources for youth that identify with the LGBTQ plus community. There's also a, a hate crime survi uh, survival guide um, created by victimconnect.org. And those are just some of the many, many resources that allies and people of the community can utilize to help support themselves and to support others. So there is resources out there for you to utilize, and I hope that you utilize them when you need them. Well, I really want to thank you all for joining me today on Talk To Be Well and talking about how to be an ally. You have really covered a lot of ground today 
And now more than ever, you're right. We all have to stand up and be allies for the LGBTQIA plus community. We all have to stand up and be allies for every marginalized community because they're all under attack. But some people are under attack more than more than others. And we really, really need to lend our voice, lend our support, support, lend our vote, do your research, know who you're voting for, and show up, be smart, be awake, and be alive. We need to show up and be there for our everyone. All right, everybody, thank you for joining me on Talk To Be Well and discussing all of this. If you are looking for support with your mental health or any other medical questions, please visit providence.org. All of the resources we discussed today, you will be able to find on the worktobewell.org page. That's work, the number two, bewell.org, where you can look and find our resources page and have everything that Dominic, Ash, and Gabby talked about today will all be there and available for you. I am your host, Dr. Robin Henderson. Thank you all for being here today and be well.